0: City, WLCC, Brandon,
1: Faith Talk Tampa, online at letstalkfaith.com, download the Faith Talk Tampa app.
0: Following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded.
1: These men were not about to change their mind, no matter what Jesus would have done. These were the men who were familiar with the scriptures. They were aware that Christ had raised a man from the dead. They saw him cast out demons. They saw him him do all kinds of miracles, and yet they continued to reject him. Why? Because the issue of whether Jesus is or is not the Messiah has absolutely nothing to do with the evidence he provided. He provided enough evidence that if they wanted to believe they could have these men and the nation that they represented were determined to reject Christ, regardless of how many miracles and proofs that he showed them. That, that is a critical truth to understand. The reason that the religious people of his day continued to reject him and the reason religious and devout individuals today continue to reject him has nothing to do with the evidence. We have more evidence today than we ever had for the validity of Christianity
2: In our previous verse by verse broadcast we asked the question why did Jesus not give the crowd what they asked for they wanted a spectacular sign of some sort well, the answer is rather obvious when we think about it he had just cast out a demon and the people were amazed yet they asked for a sign Jesus was right to refer to them as an evil and adulterous generation While it is easy for us today to look at that exchange that Jesus had with the crowd and religious leaders and think to ourselves, yep, Jesus was right about those people. However, this passage of Scripture was not given to us so that we can condemn the people mentioned in the passage. This passage is for us as well, and there are going to be some very practical applications coming our way before this series is over. Our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, is ready to start today's broadcast, so
1: let's listen
2: with open hearts.
1: Religious unbelief is wicked because it rejects Christ in spite of all the evidence. In spite of all the evidence, it rejects Him. Important for us to understand. Once again, verse 39, but He answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. Now, the first thing we notice in Christ's response, as we said, to to their request for a sign is that he refused it. He refused to give them what they were asking for. They wanted something spectacular. He said, I'm not going to give that to you. Why not? Let's stop and consider that for a few moments. Why not give them some display of his power in the heavens? It certainly wasn't because the Lord was incapable of it. Remember, Jesus is our creator. He's the one who when you read in Genesis 1 that God created the heavens and the earth, that's Christ, that's Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. So it wasn't because he wasn't capable of it. I remind you the stars shine at his command. Hebrews 1.3 says that he upholds all things by the word of his power, meaning that the only thing that is sustaining the universe is not gravity. It's not gravity. It's Christ's word that says that gravity is, Continues to exist. If he rescinds that word, which he will do during the great tribulation period, then the normal course of the heavens would be altered and will be altered and catastrophes will take place on the earth. So there's no problem with the Lord's power. That's not why he said no. He was certainly capable of doing anything he wanted to the heavens but he refused. Why? Why not show, and maybe you've had this question, why not show these antagonistic religious leaders once and for all some heavenly sign? Wouldn't that convince them that Jesus is exactly who he is? If if he called down fire from heaven, how could they deny this? Wouldn't this convince them that he was the Messiah? The answer is emphatically no, it would not convince them. They would still not believe, regardless of how magnificent a miracle he did, they would not believe. How do we know this? Because listen, these men had seen all the miracles they needed to see, all the miracles they needed to see, and they still didn't believe. Nothing Jesus could do or say was about to change their minds about him. I I remind you that in John chapter 11, we're given an incident about a man named Lazarus, who Jesus brought back from the dead. He had been dead for several days. It was clear that he was dead. In the great King James language, it says that after these many days, he stinketh, and he really died. And Jesus raised him from the dead. He walks out of the tomb. Everybody can see it. It's obviously a miracle. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, get together, and they plot How to kill Jesus. That's their response to a miracle. I think that's a rather impressive miracle. Wouldn't you say? That Lazarus is raised from the dead and all they can think of is they have to kill Jesus. These men were not about to change their mind no matter what Jesus would have done. These were the men who were familiar with the scriptures. They were aware that Christ had raised a man from the dead. They saw him cast out demons. They saw him him do all kinds of miracles and yet they continued to reject him. Why? Why? Because the issue of whether Jesus is or is not the Messiah has absolutely nothing to do with the evidence he provided. He provided enough evidence that if they wanted to believe, they could have. These men and the nation that they represented were determined to reject Christ regardless of how many miracles and proofs that he showed them. That, that is a critical truth to understand. The reason... That the religious people of his day continued to reject him, and the reason religious and devout individuals today continue to reject him has nothing to do with the evidence. We have more evidence today than we ever had for the validity of Christianity. It's not an, an issue of evidence. It's not an issue of intellect, of scholarship. it's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of the heart. You see, the reason these religious men rejected him, in spite of all of their pious devotion, is that their religion was just a cover-up of their true evil natures. They're evil, like everyone without Christ. An evil nature that really hates God and hides behind a religious cover-up. Appears to be moral on the outside, but inside is wicked appears to be very kind and sweet and in love with God, but not the God of Scripture, God they've created in their minds. They may love their religion, but they don't love the true God. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that's their hearts? Because Jesus tells us. I'd like you to look in John chapter 15. There are two passages of Scripture in which the Lord unmasks what religious people, in particular these Jewish religious leaders were like, but it applies to all religious people. They may be very kind. Now, these people weren't particularly kind, but oftentimes people are who are very caught up in their mainline denomination, very kind, very, very moral, ethical, very devout. But listen to what Jesus said. John chapter 15, he says in verse 18, he's explaining to his disciples what life will be like without him and how it's going to be rough without his physical presence. He says, If the world hates you, verse 18, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. So he's saying, now, if you embrace the same values that the world embraces, if you laughed at its dirty jokes, if you had the same morals, the same attitudes, the same perspectives the same ambitions, then the world would love you because you reaffirm them. But I've changed you. I've called you out of the world. You have different values, different set of ambitions, a different group of affections, and the world hates you. The world hates you because you're different than they are. He goes on to say in verse 20, "'Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also.'" But notice this, he says in verse 21 and following, but all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know the one who sent me. Now, isn't that interesting? They were religious. They went to synagogue regularly. They said their prayers regularly. But Jesus said they do not know God. Therefore, they do not know me. There's no such thing in saying I I love God, but I really don't love Jesus. Anyone who says that is not one who loves God the God of Scripture. And then he says in verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. Now, he doesn't mean that they wouldn't be sinners. They were obviously sinners before he ever came and spoke to them, but they would not be guilty of this particular sin, and that is the sin of rejecting him in spite of being exposed to all the evidence. He said, but now they have no excuse for their sin, meaning they heard me, they saw what I did, the works that I did, and they still rejected. They are guilty of of rejecting Me, even after seeing the evidence. He who hates me hates my father also. Now that's one place in which Jesus rips off the mask of religious hypocrisy and says, when you look on the inside, that's what these men are like. They don't love God. They don't love his word. They don't love me. Let's look at Matthew chapter 23. If you think that was pointed, Matthew 23, the Lord is even more pointed and direct and blunt with religious hypocrisy and unbelief. He says, and actually the whole chapter, or most of the chapter, addresses this, but I'll just point out a few things to you. Starting at verse 25, Jesus said, and he's telling these people, I mean, talk about being blunt. This is what he's saying to them Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean, notice this, the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside, They are full of robbery and self-indulgence, meaning you have all kinds of dietary laws and cleansings, and you're so concerned about the meticulous observance of, of your kosher eating and washing the hands and making sure the cup is clean, but inside, you're filthy. You're filthy. You have religion, but no regeneration on the inside, Verse 26, you blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. In other words, be transformed inwardly, be born again, be regenerated. When you're changed on the inside, you'll be changed on the outside. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like the whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful. These tombs would be, would be cleaned up, would be painted, would, would give them nice appearance. But he said, inside, they're full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. So you two outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. I mean, I I would say he got his point across, right? That's, That's pretty blunt. The Lord exposed the true nature of those who hide behind religion. They look good on the outside. They're impressive. They have pious words and expressions. But inside, Jesus said, It's like dead men's bones, filthy, corrupt, in need of a cleansing. And that's why the Lord refused their request for a heavenly sign. He knew that it wouldn't make a difference anyway. No matter what he said, they would just come up with some other explanation for this miracle. Wouldn't they? That's very helpful to understand. Because there are people, and I've had had this said to me, maybe you have. Someone who you've witnessed to will stop you and say, you know what? If... God would just show me a miracle. If I could just see one miracle, then I would believe. You know what? That's not true. That sounds real good, but that's not the case. Now, people may think that they would believe, but they wouldn't. If their hearts haven't been changed by God, they would still reject Christ. They would just rationalize away the miracle. Let me explain something important about Christ's character Jesus didn't back then, and he doesn't today, cater to the whims of unbelievers who ask for a miracle just for the sake of seeing a miracle, who have no interest in repentance. He is not a circus performer who satisfies the crowd's hunger for some sensational act. Keep that in mind in this day and age of supposedly a lot of charismatic phenomena. The Lord doesn't do do that. He's not a circus performer. During his earthly ministry, Jesus never did a miracle For a miracle's sake. For those who had no interest in spiritual things. If you'll recall, let me just illustrate it this way. Remember during the temptation of of Satan... Satan, the Bible says, tempted Jesus, took him to the highest pinnacle in the temple and tempted him to throw himself down from the highest place in the the temple area, what's called the the pinnacle, the highest place, throw himself down. And he even used scripture. He said the angels will come, the promise is the angels will come and will catch you so that you you will not be hurt. Jesus would not do that. He wouldn't do it because he never does miracles to satisfy the curiosity of Of evil unbelievers. James Boyce offered these insightful words about how unbelievers today fail to respond to all the evidence for the validity of Christianity. Listen to this. This is very interesting. He wrote Today there is overpowering evidence for the claims of Jesus to be the unique Son of God and the Savior. People still will not believe, and it's an insult to God to claim there is insufficient evidence. What kind of evidence would it take? I sometimes say that even if God arranged the very stars of heaven to read Jesus is my son with whom I am well pleased, believe on him. People would look at the stars, scratch their heads and say, isn't that unusual? I wonder how the stars managed to rearrange themselves that way. Folks, that's exactly what they would say or something like that. They, they would come up with some kind of phenomena where, all, you know, once every 10 billion years, the stars rearrange themselves like this. So because Jesus knew that the scribes and Pharisees were innately wicked men who would not believe in him, regardless of how spectacular a miracle he performed for them, he just refused to give them any kind of a heavenly sign. However, he didn't just stop there. They asked for a heavenly sign. He said no, but he gave them another sign, another kind of a sign that they didn't ask for. And that's found at the end of verse 39. Verse 39. An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, yet no sign will be given to it. But here's the sign I will give to you, Jesus said. I'm giving you the sign of Jonah the prophet. The statement tells us that Jesus promised to give a specific sign to them. A sign that he called the sign of Jonah the prophet. Now what was he referring to? Well, he tells us what he was referring to in verse 40, so we're not left to try to figure this out on our own. Verse 40 says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, that's this huge fish, probably a fish that God uniquely created for such an occasion, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah, as you'll recall, was an Old Testament Jewish prophet who God commanded to go to the people of Nineveh, part of the Assyrian Empire, Gentiles, and he was to preach to them. Jonah hated these people. They were a wicked people. Jonah said no. And uh, in rebellion of God, he boarded a ship going in just the opposite direction. But God was relentless He did not allow Jonah to escape his calling. God sent a storm at sea and directed the sailors on the ship to throw Jonah overboard into the Mediterranean. But instead of drowning, as would be assumed, Jonah was actually swallowed by this great fish where he remained for three days and three nights. This is all in the Old Testament book of Jonah. And after three days and three nights, this great fish, we are told, and I quote, vomited Jonah out on land. This was the, Jonah was such a horrible prophet in that sense that the fish threw him up. That's the real miracle how this fish could keep him in there for three days. Anyway, he just vomited Jonah out on land and Jesus taught that the experience of Jonah of being buried in the depths of the sea and then coming out of this great fish after three days and three nights was a prophetic picture of himself. A prophetic picture of himself. Now, no one knew it back then when the Old Testament was written, but Jesus is interpreting it and says, that's designed by God to be a prophetic picture of, of me. As he says, he would later be killed, and we understand this now, looking back, he would later be killed buried in a tomb and then be resurrected and walk out of that tomb three days later. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that the miraculous sign that he will leave with Israel and the world is the sign of his resurrection. Jonah is a prophetic picture of Christ's resurrection. That wasn't the kind of miraculous sign they asked for, but that's the one Jesus chose to give them. It is the last miracle that Jesus directly gave To the people of Israel. And that's one reason why when you open the book of Acts. You'll see in the first few chapters. As the apostles are preaching the gospel to Jewish people in Israel. They emphasize not only Christ's death but his resurrection. They all knew that he died. They didn't understand the meaning of it. But it is the resurrection that validates his death. It proves that he is the son of God. And that God the father accepted the death of Christ on our behalf. That's the final sign to them. The one sign that verified above all other signs who he was. And you know what? It still wasn't enough. Still wasn't enough to convince them to repent and trust him for salvation, at least not the nation. Some individuals, but not the nation. I want to close with this. Luke chapter 16. I'm not going to go over all of it for the sake of time, but give you the gist of it. The story is about two men, a man named Lazarus, not the Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead in John eleven. Another Lazarus, who was a very poor man, but a believer. And there was a rich man who had no compassion on Lazarus. And this rich man was an unbeliever. And Jesus went on to say that they both died. Lazarus went into what was called then paradise. He's with Abraham, Abraham's bosom. And this uh, this rich man, this unbeliever, wicked man, is in Hades, lost in torment. And this uh, this wicked man is appealing. He can speak and see Abraham, but he's not with him. And he's appealing to Abraham. And he's appealing to Abraham to send Lazarus back to his family. Because he has brothers who need to hear about the torments of this place. And let me break in and read this to you. Luke chapter 16. He says in verse 27... He said, then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. Now, you understand. He's saying, raise Lazarus from the dead. Raise him back to life. But notice what Abraham says in verse 29. They have Moses and the prophets, meaning they have the word of God. Let them hear them. They don't need to hear Lazarus they have the sufficient word of God but he said as he actually argues with Abraham I don't know how you disagree with Abraham at that point in life but he managed to do that he said no father Abraham but if somebody goes to them from the dead they will repent what he's saying is if they see a miracle of the resurrection surely they'll repent but notice what Jesus said but he said to them If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Do you see what the Lord is saying? It ties in perfectly with this point in Matthew chapter 12. Even in the face of the resurrection of Christ, people's minds will not be persuaded. Not if they reject the truth of Scripture. Miracles, even the greatest miracle of the resurrection, will never persuade a heart that is hardened by sin to believe in Christ as Lord and Savior. So be aware of that. Miracles today don't change anybody's heart. Then what does God use to change a sinner's heart? He uses the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Jesus said that the scriptures, listening to Moses and the prophets, were sufficient to overcome unbelief and to lead one to faith in Christ. Has that been your experience? Have you placed your trust in Christ for your eternal salvation? Because you understand from God's word that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. He is the son of God. He is, he is the God man who died to pay the eternal debt for sinners. He rose again to prove that his payment on the cross was accepted by the father. It is the word of God that will bring you to faith in Christ, not a miracle. God can certainly do any miracle he chooses to do, but we shouldn't need miracles. And certainly unbelievers will never be changed by miracles. If you're not a believer in Christ, it may be that you are still caught up in religion. I urge you to no longer hide behind the trappings of man-made traditions of religious beliefs. No matter how secure you feel in that, turn from that. Admit to God that you're a lost sinner Turn away from whatever you know to be sin, especially the sin in your heart, and turn to Christ to save you. Listen, you have all the evidence you need. You don't need anything more. The truth of the Scriptures will lead you to faith in Christ.
2: I thought today's verse by verse broadcast was very interesting. I like the way Pastor Steve explained the sign of the prophet Jonah. The time Jonah spent inside the great fish was a picture of death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So to recap the scene, Jesus has cast out a demon, the crowd was amazed, the Pharisees said Jesus used the power of Satan to cast out the demon, and then asked Jesus to give them a sign, which he had already done. The only sign he promised the people was the sign of Jonah, and that is that Jesus himself would be three days and three nights in the tomb. I wonder how many people who were there in that crowd thought about what Jesus said after His resurrection. Well, after today's broadcast, we have three more programs in our series titled Words Have Meaning. I would encourage you not to miss a single program. However, if you do, head over to versebyverseradio.org and sign up for the Verse by Verse podcast. That's versebyverseradio.org.